Episode 2. Welcome. Apocalypse Tao means the revealing of the natural way. The Greek, apocalypsis, is the origin of the word apocalypse, meaning uncovering, a derivative of the verb apocalyptine, meaning to take the cover off. Tao, as described in the Tao Te Ching, is the absolute principle underlying the universe, combining within itself the principles of yin and yang and signifying the way or the code of behavior that is in harmony with the natural order. So, welcome Apocalypse, the revealers, those who uncover and sweep away the dirt and dust from that which has been covered. Welcome artists and curiosity seekers. Welcome the brave and vulnerable who dare to gaze into the abyss, into the shadows and the gold-lined clouds, and even in the grains of sand and flecks of dust, and see the veiled truth. Because in simply being seen, in being witnessed, that truth is revealed. I just wrote a song about fear, or the release of it. I'll play it at the end of this writing, and um, follow up with some thoughts, um, another writing, and the outro song that I made for the podcast. Art is messy. It is a journey through opposites in the mud and pristine heavenly mansions. It flows with our own bloodshed and is cleansed with fountains from blue springs and glaciers. Art is every opinion and all possibilities. It is Tao. It is Christianity. It is Gnosticism. It is all religion, all spirit, all science, all geometry and chaos. It is the translation of an abstract thought into words, a melody from a dream transposed. It is the coming together of something new. It is the empty space and the fullness of spontaneity. It is creation. And as all creation is, like the sperm and egg, it is messy and beautiful, and can be either messy or beautiful, or anything in between at any given time. A glimpse of perfection, a shadow of a dark thought, an echo of a gathering of moths, a math problem finally solved, a new question discovered, Art is the discovery of a creation that you have had a part in, yet one in which you are surprised at the outcome because yours was never the only hand. Art is the recognition of this. Art is the nature of awe. It is discovery. Art is life. Throw that away. with me. Say those two words. You know the ones I mean. Do you see me? Do you hear 
The song that I wrote is called Hide and Seek. It's about the return to vulnerability, awe, some might say innocence, yet we can't unsee what we've seen, unexperience what we've experienced, so there is no return to innocence, at least not in this life. But can there be a reawakening of truth, a tuning back to center? I think so. Imagine that fear is the covering of truth, an emotion which has been augmented and manipulated into instigating a belief and over time builds on that belief and layers intangible and unreachable ideas to something clear, simple, and beautiful, love. Originally, fear was simply a reaction to fight or run. It was not an anchor for deep-seated phobias, PTSD, or beliefs which can be used for limiting our ability to learn or to take in new things. It was flexible and adaptive and quickly released. To recognize this, simply watch undomesticated animals in the wild. They move on from the fight or flight trigger and live and love as usual. As humans, we've locked in or held on to so many layers of fear that we don't know where one starts and the other stops. If you simplify the experience of existence, you get two source emotions at birth, which all other emotion is built on. The first, or core emotion, is love. The next, or protective instinctive reaction, can be called fear. Love covers curiosity, creativity, self-expressive personality characteristics, the feeling of connection, etc. Fear is there for self-protection, escape, separation, expressing dissatisfaction by crying to let mom know that we need or lack food or love or attention. Which, when you think about it, is only necessary if we are in a body. As a race, a people, we need to survive. And the fight or flight trigger, which happens in emergency or needy situations, is intended to protect and sustain the physical body. There are very few times that we should actually need this now, as we have built walls, devices, and such to protect our physical existence. The physical body is protected now more than it has ever been. The spiritual and psychological body is now being infected. It seems that we are evolving to create more pardon me, bullshit ways to trigger the fear response. At this point, don't you think we could, if we wanted, actually live in peace and be developing incredible skill sets and unique abilities and technologies and ways of exploration that would enrich and deepen our experience here on Earth more readily if we weren't dealing with fear when we didn't need to? It's become an instrument of suppression control. And the need to control is always based in fear. Fear of loss, fear of separation from something, a feeling, a person, an idea, a part of self, etc. Think of the things you should do, the things you shouldn't do, and now ask yourself, who told you that? I'm not talking about things like basic ethical inborn and natural inclinations that extend from the core nature of love. I'm referencing the everyday, 
small but prolific moments that we hesitate to speak because of what someone might think or what you find yourself thinking about the innumerable negative possibilities of your everyday decisions. How many little fears prevent you from doing something or motivates you to do something that you wouldn't have yourself chosen to do? I'm here to suggest that as simple as the Pavlov's dog's entrainment, that you, that we, have been and are being entrained and culturated in a direction that we wouldn't necessarily or naturally find ourselves in. If it weren't for this evolution of fear and de-evolution of truth. Different predators are evolving now. The human predators, the emotional predator. Human beings that feel disconnected, unfulfilled, unfull or empty will sometimes react by developing skills to trigger fear in others because if they can control something or someone outside themselves, then they must be important, right? They must have value. They must be bigger than they feel. But that temporary rush or good righteous feeling, similar to certain drugs, is very temporary and becomes an addiction. A cause to go bigger, keep trying harder, to feel that rush that feels good because it triggers a neurological dopamine response that goes away as quickly as it comes. Why? Because they are not fulfilled, empowered, centered, secure. They don't have a history of feeling loved unconditionally without a catch or condition to that love. On that note, I'd like to mention here that the chemistry of being in love is a survival skill of nature. For six months to two years, we are fed chemistry to feel as if we are quote-unquote in love. That is not unconditional love. Unconditional love is inborn. It's what we are born with. It's what we have before we are born and after we die. So, moving on. We are raising children who believe that they are somehow worthless. Unhealed trauma can do it. Codependent parents or manipulative family or educators can do it. There are many potential causes, but all seem to be motivated by the need to control. It inspires the need to control, and we end up at the same damn place we started. Can we educate ourselves into peace and unconditioned or unconditional love? Are we ready for true freedom? For the revelation of the natural way? Children are free until they're not. They're free to feel what they want, think how they want, be who they are, play, explore, express their inborn truth. Then they are chastised for their feelings, taught what is correct so they don't have to think, or so they don't want to think. They are taught that work is not fun and play is only a reward for a job well done. They are taught who to be. They are given examples of people to be like because being themselves would be a mistake. They are drained from their inborn truth, from their natural way. Many are even drugged out of self 
No wonder we're afraid. No wonder there are two sets of two words that are taught to children, but used less and less by adults who fall under this spell. Thank you, and I'm sorry. You see, humility is understood when empathy and compassion is in full embrace. So remember these words could begin to heal today's conflicts. If we can remember that we are on this planet for such a short time in the grand scheme of things, that we, as we think we are maturing out of childhood and into adulthood, and believe that we actually know things or know enough to stop growing or forget to learn, or more importantly, forget how to release the things that we think we know in order to create space for inborn truth. If we forget these things, then we risk becoming or feeling smaller than we were as children, smaller than the grand ideas and vast potential that we felt as a child, know that we know as children. If we lose that, we lose our truth. We lose our willingness to change and grow and accept a natural path. We give others power and feed off control, which propagates the seed of suppression and slavery. When we crave control because we feel as if we lack something, we are being controlled, controlled by fear, fear of loss, fear of loss of self. Control doesn't fill any hole or make us whole. It feeds the idea of loss and lack and incompleteness. It feeds the addictive self, the craving for external fulfillment that only lasts a little while and requires another fix. Your wholeness is always within. In the spirit, the soul, the connection to the complete experience of the all and the self as one. If you allowed yourself to feel and know this truth, you would never intend to harm yourself. So those in your life would also never be harmed because you would know and understand that they are part of you and also independent of you. Can we also remember that we are only children? That there is not one of us that is wise, yet if we remember who we are as children, there can be some who are tuned, some who learn again how to tune to the truth, the first truth, to who we were born to be. There is one state of being that seems to bring about clarity for me, not a clean slate, not a state of innocence, but a tuning in to openness, to that truth of potential and possibility. It removes fear. It's awe. Awe is a recognition of the previously inconceivable, a temporary or permanent shifting or removal of limiting belief. For me, a state of awe can be experienced with the vision of a butterfly or a weird bug exploring new discoveries or listening to Sasquatch encounters, near-death experiences, quantum physics theory, writing or creating art, having an amazing conversation, and any number of other inspirations along the way. I've always encouraged myself and others to become comfortable with discomfort, 
to accept and move through fear, to think about or perceive all sides of an experience, not simply look in one direction with blinders on. Please remember, kindness matters. The foundation of truth, of love, is in how we treat others. How have you experienced awe? What have you found that has helped you release the need to believe something that has other possibilities than the gaps you fill in? These things are in us all. We all do it. It's based in the layers of fear that we've covered our pure and true selves with. Things which permeate our cultures and feeds the need to control or limit the experience of others and of ourselves. What do you think? If you have feedback, please leave a voice message for me on my Anchor FM podcast profile. I may use your message in an upcoming podcast. If you don't have access to Anchor, um, I will in the future be attempting to figure out a way that you can leave me a voice message without having to use Anchor to do that. Now let's read something new. Something new, something raw, something to catch the fall, something ancient buried inside, something beyond this primal ride, something to last and shift and grow, to be a comfort and safe, but exciting and rich and new in a way that you've always known. Something that was always there, in the air, in your lungs, in our DNA. And can you say love? The abstract of the variants of love that we're used to feeling from the chemical components of our body's bad break. The way this earthly nature motivates us to breed six months to two years of chemistry is all she gives us. Mother nature, the mother, the manipulating self, motivating mother who needs us to feel the need to propagate the species. No, not that love, no. It's almost the opposite of the love we breathe, the love we're birthed with and permeated by. You see, that love is freedom. Nature's love is slavery. I'd rather have the deep love, the letting go love, the holding on to feel you love, not the holding on to make you love me love, or the holding on because I hate you. The holding on so I can break you, love. No, this love is all. Yes. From life to death to life again. From the moment a human foot walked on the earth, love. Until the last footfall, love. And timeless love. And yes, godlike love for the first seed and furthers to galaxy, love. The internal love that reaches out into the infinite and backward without moving love, the complete circle love, the singularity love. This place is permeated and deeply penetrated and we all know it love. So why is the pull for nature's love so chased by us love? A tangible attachment to remind of the deeper love. <laughs> 
because we forget that it's us. We forget that we are the love. We are the beaten black and blue, and how can love exist in that damage, in the mess, in the fragility of this body, and this mind, and this undetermined state of temporary that they say we live in? A terminal illness life. So how can we be love? What have we come to that we don't see who we are beyond this? Not see, but feel, know, deeply understand that separation is part of connection. That one is never away from the other. We are never apart without also being together. The Tao. The bonding of all possible potentials and no loss without gain. We are the same and we are different. And we always will be love. We will fill the airwaves with insanely interesting content. If you'd like to help, you probably know what to do. Share, like, do the five-star thing, audio submissions on the anchor profile, etc., etc. Remember, as the apocalypse reveals the path, it destroys what is hidden it. We will pick through the rubble of the crumbled coverings, and truth will show us the way. Be well, dear Apocalypse. Before I play the outro song, I would like to go off script. This is related to free will, and uh, I would like to have you consider the idea of helping others. Um, when we help others, um, I always think of that song in Free to Be You and Me, some kind of help is the kind of help we can, we just can do without. <laughs> uh, so when we consider helping others and that we are helping others and uh, all this, please be sure to understand fully and completely uh, if the other person, if the person that we are trying to help wants our help, you know, is uh, accepting of our help. <clears throat> and uh, that means being fully informed of our help. And um, I have a short story. I think it'll be short. Uh, me and my ex-husband were following behind a vehicle where we witnessed a, the driver reaching over, grab, grabbing his, uh, I'm assuming, girlfriend, by the hair and beating the crap out of her. So we followed him. He sped up, he tried to get away from us. And I mean, before he realized we were following him, he would occasionally reach and grab her hair and beat the crap out of her again. And she would open the door and then she'd close the door. And um, so we followed him. It was uh, at that time when cell phones were just 
getting somewhat popular and we didn't have one. So um, we were driving on a road that really didn't have any off-roads. We had followed him to uh, some back roads and we saw somebody coming and we part, we, I pulled, I was the one driving, I pulled in front of that vehicle and told them what was going on and asked them if they could call the police and they said sure. They had a cell phone so they were doing that and they explained it to them I guess. We pulled out and continued to follow, uh, caught up with the guy, um, eventually pulled off into a gravel lot and uh, <clears throat> both me and my husband got out of the car and I asked my husband if he could stay behind me because this guy was obviously, you know, wanting to fight <laughs> and uh, uh, male would be the easiest one in this scenario to begin to attack. So I uh, had him stand behind me. The girl got out of the car and I said to her, I said, hi, if you would like to get in the car with us, we can take you wherever you want. Uh, he, of course, was yelling and, uh, what the blank, blah, 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 are you following me for? And, you know, yelling at his quote-unquote girlfriend to get back in the car. And I continued to remind him to, uh, that, or remind her that she could get in our car. And <clears throat> in the meantime, I did almost immediately when I got out of the car, let him know that the police had been called and they were on their way. Um, and uh, she actually walked over towards the car, stood there for a minute or two um, as the guy was trying to, you know, puff up <laughs> or whatever. And um, I was just being calm and I was talking to him. I said, uh, you know, I just, I talked to him nicely and calmly and uh, let him know that we had seen what he was doing and uh, that it would be really good if he got back in his vehicle and drove away. Um, he started to go back to the vehicle and uh, was yelling at the girl and um, I looked at her, I said, you're welcome to get in the car again. She looked at us, looked at him, looked at, looked at us, looked at him, and she got back in, the, in his car. <laughs> so I didn't think twice about it at that point. I had done my, uh, my thing. I had you know, done the best that I could in the situation. I gave somebody a choice. Um, I had informed the officials as to what was going on. Um, they knew what his vehicle looked like and all that. Um, knew where he was. And, um, and that was it. You know, I gave her a choice. She had her own life. She had her own choice. She could have had a child at home that she knew that he might 
you know, hurt when, you know, if she left. Uh, she could have had any number of things going on in her life that made her decide to get back in the car with him. Um, it, that's not my place to make a decision for her uh, concerning her life. She might have somehow needed this experience or she could have been in that experience to help somebody else. You know, we have no idea <laughs> why we are living the life that we live. All we can do is make the best decisions for ourselves that we can and inform other people of other options, other possibilities, other choices, other information. And then they get the choice, you know? They, we all have free will. And uh, just because she didn't get in the car with me didn't make me think on any level that that was the right or wrong choice for her to make, okay? I understand that there are much larger uh, subsets of complicated experiences and information that I will never, ever, ever, ever have access to. Okay, well, I mean, maybe when I die, but <laughs> on this planet, at this moment, I can't make those judgments because I am not all-knowing and all-seeing. I am God. I am part of God. God is part of me. We are all that. So we are all equal, but we are condensed into this seed, this microform of us, of uh, the hologram of the universe, of the information that exists. Okay, and that's my belief. <laughs> and uh, we can feel that, we can experience that, we can do all kinds of amazing things on this planet. Uh, but there's one thing that we can't do. We can't make a decision for somebody else. We can't judge someone else's path. We can inform, we can educate, we can love, we can accept, we can uh, have unconditional uh, uh, conversations with people and unconditional love for them. Um, but in the way the Tao we are not equipped <clears throat> in a physical form at least on the level that we are in now to make decisions for others and even if we were equipped if we were absolute perfect beings I believe that we would understand that that is not 
the way. That is not the Tao. That is for each individual to experience and resolve and, you know, deal with. Um, and then if they ask for help or they want our help, then let them get in the car, you know? But otherwise, it is, uh, it becomes a form of slavery if we forced, if we had forced her in the car. <laughs> we would be, a, we would have been doing the exact same thing that that guy was doing to her. So she would have been in the same experience. She would have not had a choice. And uh, that is a form of slavery, is not giving somebody a choice. It is slavery. Okay. That's all I want to say about that. And uh, much love, Apocalypse, on your own path in this vast universe of experience. And um, be well. I'll play the outro song I made for the podcast. And... Uh, Hope you guys like it. Thanks.
place, the beginning, the circle, the snake at its own tail. Brings one back to innocence, back to a place we might have forgotten had we remained unwilling to be reborn again and again. Yes, the wise see. And the thinker and the wanderer imagines what is beyond the known and thus can surpass the wise in experience and birth paths that have never been walked. We are time travelers. Looking for that black hole that holds everything and nothing in its touch of singularity so we can spark night, the first flame, once more, so that we can stop looking out for home and bring home back from the lost and ancient city that has always been within.